you're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including an alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. Hello, and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. So excited to be here with our good friend of the show, frequent guest, Izzy Award-winning journalist with the Pushback Show on The Gray Zone. He's also a journalist whose work you can find at places like The Nation, CBC, where else? I'm, I'm trying to... The CBC, no. CBC, where? I mean, where? I'll just, I mean, all these other places you would never work for, they'd never hire you anymore because of various disputes but i've never i've never worked for never the cbc i'm sorry i was that was me being problematic problematically viewing you as a as the canadian that you are yeah, but i won't do I mean, that again i mean i love the logo of the cbc if you it look is at very, it, it's, it's very it's good cool it's logo. very memorable it is yeah. I, I have fond memories of there's the cbc makes great content like kids in the hall oh yeah i didn't know cbc i thought yeah. it was just canada i didn't know that cbc oh my thing. god yeah that's that's straight up cbc so that right there would uh you know, say it's a CBC right there, but yeah, redeems it. Hockey night, in, hockey night in Canada is another big CBC production. Let me let me redo my introduction of Aramate. Um, a dis- extinct, distinguished journalist is the award winning uh, who has never appeared in CBC. Aramate. Good to be here. Good night. Good evening. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good. Last time I spoke to you, you were in Syria. How was that? Uh, it was uh, it was really eye opening. I just got back a few days ago, and uh, it was very very eye opening. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk more about that. Aaron came on Useful Idiots, and I didn't even know that you were in Syria when we booked you, which was I mean I shouldn't reveal that because it was great booking timing. I mean, like <laughs> amazing. You know, we got we were we were the first people to talk to you while you were there. That maybe because <laughs> my co-host Matt Taibbi's really really want to talk to you about that guy, the little Russian man. Kalimnik. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an important story. But of course, for me, it was like, yeah, I felt bad for you. I, I felt bad for you. No, don't feel bad for me. It's me. No, it's I did. Honestly, because it's like we got, I got really into the Russia gate weeds. Fine. I was talking about like court filings from like 2019. It's pretty boring. I watched it back and I was like, God. No, people Unless, liked it. If I was not really into Russia gate, I really wouldn't care about this. And so I, but I appreciated you, you weathering that and also giving me a chance to talk about Syria too, which yes, is, uh, which we did. Yeah. And we'll, we'll put out some free clips from that too. Cause I, I really don't like monetizing these things and I really don't like paywalling content that is really important to get out. That's not getting out. So maybe a good way to start would be by just looking at we're not going to do a big dunking, but actually just going through some of the points that have been made against you, just so people know, and they probably do. Aaron went to Syria. You triggered some folks, didn't torture them, just triggered, triggered some folks at the Young Turks. They made a video. There were some not nice things said about you. You took the high road, asked for a, what was it, a redaction, a retraction, excuse me, for any slip, because they had said that you were paid by the Russians. They said I was paid by Russia. Yeah. They said that I seemed to be working for dictators. And then I deny the murder of children and chemical weapons attacks. Yes. Yeah. And fuck you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Annika's parent told me, told me to fuck off and gave her the finger. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, Aramate. And oh, then. And, and Cheng Weger also said that um, this is where I just felt sad for him. Like he said, oh, I Aaron he's... must be really warm in his little Russian blanket. He said that? Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, now we got to send and you I was a little. Like the irony of the guy. Well, obviously, you know, all, 
like all that is just projection. Like this is a guy who claims to be progressive uh, and positions himself as like a truth teller against the Democratic Party establishment. And he took $20 million from DNC mega donor Jeffrey Katzenberg. So he wrapped himself in the warm blanket of Jeffrey Katzenberg's money. And he's projecting his obvious discomfort with that onto me because his existence is basically is a lie. And when your existence is a lie, you're going to be hostile to people who actually embody the principles that you falsely claim to represent. So that's what I think that was. And it was like a mixture of it was, you know, I was angry at being lied about, but also right. there was some pity there involved, too. I felt sorry for these people that that's where their mind goes so automatically. Well, I think, yeah, wrapped in now I imagine Jenk wrapped in a little like um, donkey donkey fur coat. I don't even know what donkeys have. What, what could you make? Because the DNC thing. Right. Get it? Yes. yes get oh, it. but he's a Republican. Wait, what is Katzenberg? He's a Republican. He's a. No, Katzenberg's a Democrat. He is Jenk, a Democrat. I think Jenk is a former Republican. So it is. It is. Anyway, a whatever. Yeah. You know, anyway, it, it doesn't matter. But then there was there was no apology, but the video no. was disappeared. Uh-huh. And um, but what I think was interesting is that there was another video put up. And again, Aaron, you and I have often been on the kind of state above the fray for a couple minutes, at least when it comes to these these wars. Right. And we kind of try to relatively speaking, you certainly more than me, but, you know, not be like what not make every single thing a, a force the vote war. Right. Sure, totally. Totally. Like when force the vote happened, when force the vote happened. It happened. I disagreed with those who were against it, but it was over. It fa- it didn't happen. Yeah, that was not the hill that you decided no. to die. You didn't write no. all these other people off. You don't go around looking for stuff to own the you know the Young Turks on. But sometimes it's important to review it, and it brings me no joy. Well, look, I did uh, look. Look, I definitely made fun of them for RussiaGate because yeah, did, yeah. that was you know because anybody anybody who who claims to be progressive and w- claims to be a journalist who bought into, I think, the one of the biggest psyops in history, a straight-up disinformation campaign aimed at, among many things, protecting the failed neoliberals who lost to Donald Trump by blaming Russia and their bots and email hackers. Anybody who falls into that deserves to be made fun of. And the Young Turks were a shining example of that. And I had a good time making <laughs> making fun of them. I never, like, I never did segments about them or uh, – told them to you know, F off, but I certainly made fun of them on Twitter because it's funny and they deserve, they deserve to be made fun of for that. So, so when I say that I'm, I'm bringing this up cause it brings me no pleasure to play what I'm about to play. I actually think it's useful. This is not, we're not dunking on anyone in any inappropriate way. And I think this may be actually a good way to shape what you're going to tell us about your time in Syria, because it sets up some pretty interesting things. And I think it's fair, probably not going to take any liberties if I say that I don't think that the Young Turks regularly covers electoral politics of Syria. I don't think they had a report on this during the last elections. I don't think they cover Syria, period. And to the extent they do, I think they do it to parrot establishment talking points. And to illustrate the absurdity of the segment we're going to watch, the U.S. right now is occupying one third of Syria militarily in the Northeast. The explicit goal, as Trump said, is to take the oil. As another U.S. official said, named Dana Struhl, she now works for Biden. She's a top official under Biden at the Pentagon. She said that the goal actually is not just to fight ISIS, as the U.S. says publicly, but it's to own one third of Syria and use the leverage that the U.S. has in occupying a third of its country and occupying a region where Syria's oil is and also its wheat. It's the breadbasket of Syria. It's 
agricultural powerhouse, in Stroh's words, to use the U.S. occupation of that, what she calls the U.S. owning that part of Syria, as leverage to effectuate a political outcome in Syria that's in line with U.S. dictates, which essentially that the government has to go. So that is the context for what the U.S. is doing in Syria right now. And it's also imposing these murderous sanctions that after helping to destroy Syria for 10 years with a multi-billion dollar dirty war that, according to some estimates, cost the CIA over $1 billion per year, one of the most expensive in CIA's history. After helping to destroy Syria, leave it in ruins, as I saw firsthand, now it's imposing the harshest sanctions in the world under something called the Caesar Act. And so the Young Turks, I checked, has never done a single segment on these sanctions. And in this segment, Anna Kasparian, the host, claims that she has an anti-intervention ideology without even mentioning these sanctions or this military occupation. So that's just an illustration of like where, where they're at with Syria. It's, it's like, it's, and that's why it's like, it's awkward for me to comment on them because I just think they're so ridiculous. Well, I think actually what's weirder about this is that I don't think they ever would have done this if you hadn't appeared on it and they didn't get kind of embarrassed by cursing you out. Right. And I guess I'm bringing that up because I actually think it tells a, an uncomfortable truth about the media, which is that we all have, there are egos all over the place. And, you know, in some ways, I'd rather have egos be running the show than imperialism. But sadly, the, those things can like overlap. But I was just embarrassed because I I, I mean, it's it's it was a ridiculous segment for many reasons. But let's watch some of it. And over the course of that, of course, I would love to tell you can tell us what you actually learned on the ground. So let's just start playing and then you can we can jump in and, and tell us about you can tell us about how long. You were there for what you saw there. Okay, so here's the thesis, ready? Which is an important one. Syria just held its presidential election. And unsurprisingly, Bashar al-Assad won his fourth term, which means he'll be serving another seven years as the president of the country. And what I'm sure was a totally free and fair election. I'm sure that there was no funny business going on, nothing undemocratic taking place. Now, of course, the truth is very different from that. I'm being incredibly sarcastic. Uh, But before I get to the details on what went down during this election, I wanna be abundantly clear that as an individual who identifies on the left, You can both be against United States intervention or the United States meddling in these types of situations and also acknowledge when undemocratic behavior takes place. And that certainly is the case in the country of Syria. And I want to make the case for that. That's a good, we should always do that speed. Yeah. All right. So that's a good example. So what she's saying, this is a classic thing that people like this do where they will claim to be anti-U.S. intervention. They'll claim to be leftist while simultaneously, in her case, in the case of this segment, omitting any of the most minimal facts about U.S. intervention, the 10-year dirty war launched by the CIA, the uh, U.S. occupying one third of the country, and the murderous sanctions that prevent it from rebuilding. Okay, imagine doing a segment about Syria right now, claiming that you're against intervention and not being able to name or acknowledge the most basic facts about the ongoing U.S. intervention that is making Syrians' lives miserable. That's the first thing. So basically, this is a classic thing where someone will claim to be anti-interventionist while omitting any of the facts about it and then going to proceeding to advance all of the current talking points that are being used to justify U.S. intervention. So it's this like it's this cowardly thing of not wanting to own your actual position, which is simply I'm going to be a useful idiot for imperialism and do exactly what the arrest of the establishment media is doing to the extent that it's talking about Syria at all, 
and parrot all the talking points, create a straw man about and reduce Syria again to, which is always the playbook, this one person, Assad, not a state full of people with different views. Reduce the state to this cartoonish portrayal of one person, as the U.S. always does in every single target of regime change. Saddam Hussein, Muammar Gaddafi, you can go down the list. Because these dirty wars work by basically obliterating the people who live in the countries that are affected by our policies. And that's what a segment like this plays into. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, I actually think there is a whole interesting discussion to be had about how does the left do this, right? How do we walk and chew gum at the same time? I think they even said that. And how do we oppose regime change? And also, to what extent can we have a discussion about what needs to be done there? And should, if that's happening, how much does that need to be actually, you know, just supporting the people back there? Blah, blah, blah. There's a whole, but, but it's very here's simple. what you, yeah. But it's very simple. Like, what can I say? First of all, the first thing I recognize is actually none of our business. We don't invite Syrians to get involved in our election and comment on it. We don't look to Syrian analysts for their analysis of the U.S. election. So first of all, it's none of our business. I mean, yes, if you're a historian or political science, not to sound like I'm fetishizing academic. No, no, sure, sure you can talk about it. But the debate here is, are these Syrian elections legitimate? Yeah. And what I'm saying is it's not the place of a Westerner to confer legitimacy on any election. I mean, are our elections legitimate where our choices are between two corporate owned parties? No, of course not. Am I saying that the Syrian elections are democratic? No, the government selects the candidates. It's an authoritarian country. I mean, that's obvious. But the question is at a time when the US is imposing murderous sanctions on a country and occupying it after a 10 year dirty war that helped destroy it, is it the role of a self-identified progressive to be hyper-focusing on the talking points that are being used to advance the ongoing deprivation of Syria? I mean, no, it's a joke. And by the way, also, look, um, the, uh, the, um, there's, yeah, anyway, I, we can go well, on with this. Well, my, my, my point was that, like, I, I'm not, I'm not doing some both sidesism thing. I actually was saying that there is a discussion that can be had in some form, but at the same time, when you have a, a show and you have any sway, and your headline for your YouTube video is six, Syrian dictator wins 95% vote in sham election. Like, what are you? What do you think you're bringing to the conversation? Yeah, you're that's, just repeating, you're repeating yeah. establishment yeah. talking points right. as this video illustrates because her main sources are two neo, neocon uh, think tank analysts who she cites, including a former Israeli soldier in the Washington Post. Who are not the guests... People are going to be like, he's Aaron's not talking about the guests who are on the Young Turks. He's talking about the actual people she said. Yeah, no, she like yeah, yeah. took the time to like, you know, take yeah. quotes from their video, article. Yeah, you know, yeah, video, and make video, yeah, yeah. But also there's another point here, which is obvious. If we actually care about the well-being of the Syrian people and we care about authoritarianism in Syria, we can't do anything about Syria's system. That's their business. OK, um, I'm happy I don't live in a, you know, one party state under one party rule like in Syria, but that's their business. If we care about authoritarianism in Syria, there's, a, there's an authoritarian system we can do something about. And it's actually right now infinitely more destructive to the Syrian people than its own government. And that is our authoritarianism in Syria. The, the authoritarianism that says we have the right to flood your country with weapons and jihadists from around the world and destroy it, to overthrow your government. And then when we fail, we're going to occupy a third of your country, steal your oil and your wheat. And we're also going to impose the harshest sanctions in the world that explicitly, it's written in the act of the Caesar Act is what it's called, explicitly target reconstruction, make it impossible for you to rebuild. That is a form of extreme authoritarianism that far surpasses anything that Assad has done. Anything. It says we have the right to tell a whole country 
that we're going to destroy them because we don't like their rulers. And when we lose, we're going to make the people suffer because the, the Syrian leaders right now are not suffering. It's the Syrian people. So if we care about authoritarianism in Syria, that's the authoritarianism we can take care of. We can immediately end our own. And when they call it a sham election, it's true. Again, I'm not going to call this a democratic election. I'm also not going to call our election really a democratic election. Right. The point is, though, in context, does Assad have popular support? Undoubtedly, he does. He does. People have a hard time understanding that because he's been so demonized. But in Syria, as I saw firsthand, the choice is basically right now between Assad and it's Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda, which currently occupies the province of Idlib. The Syrian government liberated countless towns from the rule of fanatic sectarian death squads that we helped arm. Jaysh al-Islam, which is armed by Saudi Arabia, Al-Qaeda, all these others. Nobody, no Syrians voted to be occupied by Al-Qaeda or Jaysh al-Islam. And when they were liberated from these towns, they were joyous. And I saw that joy firsthand. And, it's, and I'm not saying that this represents the entire country. I'm sure there are some people in Syria who sided with the insurgents, although that increasingly decreased when they realized what rule was like under these people, forcing people to dig tunnels, executing people for adultery, all kinds of horrible stuff. But there's no doubt that there is a strong base of support. And you saw that, you know, I saw it in Damascus where I was. There was a huge rally for Assad and across the country. It was all, you know, there's footage of it. And you just can't stage that. But like, then you put it in context. First of all, they've just survived a 10-year dirty war. And this vote was actually a vote to celebrate the fact that they weren't ruled by Al-Qaeda. And voting Assad as the government, as the symbol of the government, the figurehead of the government, he represents that. And there was joy about that. And so to call this a sham election is to erase all those Syrians who are thrilled that their country won, a, won defeated the dirty war that we helped impose. So, yeah, let's someone say to Aaron to talk about what he saw there. And and we should share it with that because not everyone watches useful idiots. So can you give a summary of what you saw there and, and how what you saw kind of racks up with what is being said in this kind of infomercial that we just saw? Well, people are really suffering right now under U.S. sanctions. Unfortunately for me, I wasn't able to get the access that I wanted. I want to go to hospitals and interview doctors who, according to the U.N. Special Rapporteur on Sanctions, Elena Dohan, who, again, if outlets like the Young Turks cared about Syrian people, they would interview people like Elena Dohan, who wrote a great report calling the U.S. sanctions on Syria illegal and saying that documenting how they're hurting the Syrian people. So according to her, you know, uh, hospitals are lacking medical parts because they're banned under U.S. sanctions. So I wanted to go and report on that, but I was denied permission actually by the Syrian government. And the people I'd hired to translate for me didn't want to do anything without you know, in a, in a hospital without permission. So that's, I wasn't able to go and document that. But from what I heard, that's the reality that, you know, hospitals lack vital parts, that they lack, you know, especially for lower income people, they lack vital cancer me medicines. For richer people, it's fine. That's always the case in countries that are targeted by U.S. sanctions. And I visited towns that were formerly occupied by, you know, U.S. and Saudi and Qatari armed sectarian death squads like Duma and Jobar. And look, they're, they're now in ruins. To take back those towns, Syria and Russia waged a devastating bombing campaign, wiped out these areas completely. And in Western media coverage, we were told that basically this is Syria and Russia just bombing peaceful protesters. That wasn't the reality. It, it was a war. It was a brutal war. And the most powerful countries in the world, including the U.S., facilitated by the CIA in a program called Timber Sycamore, flooded Syria with 
billions of dollars worth of weapons. As Joe Biden famously admitted in 2014, the prime beneficiaries of these weapons were, in his words, Al-Qaeda and ISIS. I'm sorry, Al-Qaeda and Nusra, which is basically the same thing. So that's who benefited from our support for the rebels. And predictably, it led to a brutal war in which the death squads that occupied these towns occupied them, forced people to dig tunnels for them, subjected them to the rule of a really fanatic form of Islam. There's footage from Duma of Shiites being paraded around in cages. Okay. And that's, that's, that's just the example of what people were subjected to. And from these towns, they were shelling Damascus constantly. So from these towns like Duma and Jabbar, which are right outside of Damascus, these death squads were raining down mortars. Uh, I went to a friend of mine's house in the old city and uh, she, this, and and by the way, Syria is just a beautiful country. And when you see it firsthand, and you see that the U.S. and its allies tried to marshal the most fanatic people from all over the world, you know, coming from Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, the Uyghur region of China, arming them to destroy this beautiful civilization that's been around, you know, since the first century with infrastructure and churches around since the first century. You just see how sadistic it was. And you see how the, the, the Syrian people are not uh, are not reduced to their leader. They're an actual people who have lives and they all have criticisms of their government. But nobody wants to live under Wahhabi contras in the same way that, you know, under Trump, we, we didn't like Trump. But we wouldn't want him to be like replaced by Al Qaeda or ISIS. Yeah. So my friend in the old city made a bunker underneath her home and she lived there for six months along with friends of hers from the neighborhood because having a bunker underneath meant that they could stay in their homes while the death squad surrounding them were raining down mortars all over Damascus. And the criticism of people in Damascus is that the government actually didn't bomb those towns fast enough that, um, you know, that life was difficult for them. Although I also heard that actually overall life is really harder now because while, you know, mortars would each day hit a couple of areas Right now, the U.S. sanctions are hitting all of Damascus. So fuel prices are massively inflated. A friend of mine who can afford it pays nine times the normal price of fuel to get a full tank. But most people can't afford that, so they get a small little amount of fuel every single month. The reason for that is the U.S. sanctions. And what's funny is, or what's sick is, when Iran tries to come to Syria's help and import fuel into Syria, what happens? The U.S. ally Israel bombs those ships and sabotages them. So not only is the not only Syria under this criminal siege via sanctions, it's also under a literal terrorist campaign by Israel to stop it from getting fuel. And so that's the context that is missing from all these sermons about how Syria had a sham election. It's just such a joke. It's 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 such a joke. And I just wish people who mock Syria and erased its people could go there and see for themselves the sadism that they're being useful idiots for. It's really, really sick. And by the way, you know, in terms of the election, first of all, the fact that they were held is an achievement. They've just been through a brutal war that left so much of their country in ruins. The U.S. is occupying one third of the country. Al-Qaeda is controlling a major province, Idlib. And then around the world, like in Lebanon, Germany and France, when people tried to go and vote, they were stopped. So in Lebanon, Syrians were attacked when they tried to vote. In these elections, in either France or Germany, one or the other, they were, people were banned from voting. They weren't even allowed to vote. So in this segment from the Young Turks, there's this thing about how like people were intimidated to vote and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I can't say that, that that didn't happen. 
It's hard to prove a negative. But look, in Germany and France and Lebanon, is the Assad government there too saying go out and vote? No, it was it was the it was people in these places, including in the in in Europe, stopping people from voting. Right. Because the war on Syria has just involved all the most powerful governments in the world. You know, and Joe Biden and others have tried to pretend that really the problem was Turkey. Like when I interviewed Robert, I, I recently interviewed Robert Ford, who was the U.S. ambassador to Syria from 2011 to 2013 or 14. Not the Canadian Rob or Doug. Not the, not the Canadian Fords, no. No, not Canadian Fords, no. No. But, and he said that he would, he would have conversations with Turkey and try to convince them to close their borders and stop letting ISIS come through. I just don't believe it. If the U.S. really wanted to stop all this, they could have told their allies not to. But they, what they were doing was facilitating the shipments of weapons to Syria starting in 2011, very early on, and outright arming the insurgents starting with Timber Sycamore, which kicked off in you know, late 2012, possibly early 2013. So, you know, it's now the U.S. is, and, and when Biden talked and gave, he, there's an amazing co- comment from him where he blurted out the truth about Syria, how basically U.S. allies armed Al-Qaeda. I mentioned it before. And he, when he said that, he was basically trying to make this a problem of just Turkey and Saudi Arabia. But no, this was a U.S. operation. There's no way this could have happened without the U.S. And um, so but I wanted to ask you more about the, the media's framing of this and how you've been tarnished for being part of this pro- Assad group, but anything that you want to share any more about what you actually saw there on the ground that, that like, you didn't know before or anything that la- like landed in a new way for you because you were there? I went to a Christian village, which is the last place in the world where Aramaic is spoken, the, um, the language of Jesus. And I went to a, a church that dates back many centuries. And I, you know, I met some of the nuns who were kidnapped by al-Nusra, which is al-Qaeda, and held there. And they showed me the parts of the church that were defaced. Um, they, they showed me relics from the church that actually were stolen and amazingly recovered. They were tracked down in neighboring Lebanon where they were, they were being sold on the market, on the black market. And the church was able to get it back at no cost. So that's the rebels that we were supporting, people who kidnapped nuns and defaced churches. And I spoke to people who actually were still too emotional to speak about what they went through, what happened to their children, their children being injured in uh, mortar fire from the death squad that we supported. I went to Yarmouk, which is a Palestinian refugee camp that's now in large part in ruins. And it's a sad story because, you know, there are factions in that camp that took the side of the opposition. And that led to this just senseless war that left the camp in ruins. I mean, it really escalated when ISIS occupied the camp and used it to shell an attack neighboring Damascus. And that triggered this brutal bombing from Syria that destroyed the camp. And there, you know, they told me stories about how, you know, the people who were in the camp being basically bought off. Because by the way, look, already two years into the war, Qatar was bragging that it, it already spent $3 billion so basically, the wealthiest Gulf dictatorships in the world, along with the U.S., use their money to flood the country with weapons and buy people off, you know, giving people salaries. A lot of people were just bribed to switch sides. And, you know, when you're low income or poor, you know, it's, it's hard to turn down. And that's what happened in many cases. And I, funnily enough, I was told that there was so much money going into Syria that even as war was tearing it apart, 
the economy was being kept alive by all the foreign Gulf money coming in because there was just so much of it. You know, people getting a lot of money to switch sides and buy, using that money to, to buy goods. So funnily enough, like the dirty war money helped keep Syria's economy alive, which is now, all that money is now gone because the dirty war is over. Now it's just sanctions. But that's just one of like the sick developments that happens when a, when a country is being flooded with weapons and fighters in a dirty war. I just wanted to point out just this very headline again, Syrian dictator wins vote like in 95% sham election. What do people think the effect of that is? Do people actually think that someone watching that and seeing that headline is going to be like, well, U.S. intervention is bad, but duly noted that there's a dictator who's winning sham elections. Like, obviously, this is helping whether or not it's the intention. This is going to be helping make Americans that much more war ready. Yeah. And by the way, look, when you dismiss Syria as a sham election, you have to say compared to what? You know, we've already compared. Do we have legitimate elections in the U.S. where corporations own both our parties and any legitimate challenge like Bernie Sanders is constantly undermined? Um, no. Do our our quote unquote allies in the region, the dictatorships who helped destroy Syria, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, do they even hold elections? No, they don't. Does Egypt, our ally there, Sisi, have a legitimate election when he wins 97% of the vote and no one's even allowed to run against them? By the way, one of Assad's opponents in this election is a former political prisoner in Syria who was jailed for many years. I interviewed him. And uh, what, what separates him from the approved Syrian opposition in this country, the ones who get quoted in the U.S. media, he said he opposed the dirty war. He was a patriot. He doesn't like Assad. He thinks the Assad government is corrupt. He thinks that Syria could be run better. But he is a patriot in the sense he doesn't want to see a state destroyed. And anyone who takes that position is basically ignored in U.S. media and even declared an Assadist. Like by the standards of, of the U.S. media, a guy who was jailed as a political prisoner in Syria. And there are many political prisoners in Syria, by the way. There's no denying that. You know, a lot of people, it, it's a police state tightly controlled and people go to prison for challenging the government. That's That has happened. But, you know, according to their standards, this guy who actually went to prison would be an Assadist. And what all those people are who say, who adopt this position are, what they are, as I often say, they are sadists. They are a sadist. If you support strangling a country and its people for the crime of being a disobedient state. That's that's what it was. And then there's another thing that another argument made, which is that you went with some pro-Saddam group. So I'm just going to, sorry, pro-Assad. I keep saying, I keep, you know, because yeah. I'm as much an Assadist as I was a Saddamist, by the way. So I will wear that label proudly. Let me just go back to that one clip because I think it was an interesting moment. You should definitely look into them yourselves. In 2017, the association paid together. Well, you read into it a little more and you find out that uh, the group that put this uh, whole delegation together is um, the Syrian Solidarity Movement, Syria Solidarity, Solidarity Movement. And they're under this umbrella of something called the Association for Investment in Popular Action Committees. And just to give you an idea of who they are, and you should definitely look into them yourselves. In 2017, the association paid U.S. representative from Ohio, Dennis Kucinich, $20,000 to attend a conference of the pro-Assad European Center for the Study of Extremism in London. The association has been described as a pro-Assad group. Kucinich then later returned the money after reports of the association's support of Assad. So the group that put this international delegation together, the election monitors essentially, is a pro-Assad group. They get sold to, to the American people as just this anti-imperialist group, anti-war group. But you've got to look at the individuals in the steering committee for this group, and they're pretty transparently pro-Assad. And so be careful of that type of um, intentional propaganda meant to bolster uh, Assad as some sort of democratic and popular leader in Syria. That's just not the case. Yeah, from our paid vacation in Damascus and from our hotel rooms, uh, when we finished the second course of the meal, I look out the window and things seem pretty cool, you know? And I just signed a statement about imperialism, yada, yada, yada. All right, Let, let's stop it there. Okay, that's a, I mean, I don't know if they realize how offensive what they're saying is. First of all, while doing a segment that credulously cites 
neocon think tankers who whitewashed the dirty war on Syria and the sanctions. Okay. Now they're attacking a group of peace activists. And Anna has that line about look up who these people are. I'll tell you who one of those people is. His name is Empho Masamola. Empho Masamola. And he is a South African political prisoner. He went to Robben Island under apartheid, fighting the apartheid regime. So that's just an illustration of the kind of people who Anna Kasparian is trying to disparage. Someone who gave up their freedom to fight apartheid. And the rest of the group are a bunch of great people who I was fortunate to meet, peace activists in the U.S. who are opposed to imperialism. So you do a segment, you cite neocon think tankers, you attack leftists, and you completely omit the U.S. occupation of Syria, the U.S. sanctions on Syria, and the U.S. role in the dirty war in Syria. It's such a parody. And then the other host uh, says that um, says that people were just in their hotel rooms observing. Okay, We actually went many, many places. I accompanied them to many, many places around Damascus, including around the city on election day, around many, uh, around many people. But do they get the irony of saying that while they're sitting in their living rooms and studios in California or wherever they are? So you're mocking people for going to Syria and claiming that they only stayed in their hotels while you're saying this from your living room in Los Angeles? It's like, it's such a joke. And by the way, and look, I, I, th I think also she goes on, maybe you can play it more. She says, I think she also might even say that we're, that people are paid by Russia. Does that come into play? Oh, let's see. In there, and it's not. And so thank you for highlighting this because it's really important. And one of the casualties of the many casualties of the Syrian civil war, of the many lives lost, one of the casualties has been the truth. Yep. And so just try to talk about Syria in a nuanced way on the internet. You'll get called a warmonger. I've been called that. Anna's been called that. Dr. Ritchie will probably Wait, be called that by on, the end of this segment. You'll also be called like a paid Russian stooge. So... Yeah, I'm um, <laughs> there you go. But so one again, and this is sort of where internationalism, you guys, we are told to sort of stay in our lane because oh, you're, if you raise questions about this election, you're a warmonger, and it's complicated. So we kind of like bow our heads and we're like, all right, well, I'll let the experts talk about that. Well, the experts don't know what they're doing either. These so-called experts, right? Um, so experts that you're questioning. I mean, I don't even see any experts. It's not like anyone in that room has writes about this or covers this. And no offense, I don't either. I'm not an expert. I just I farm it out to people who I consider experts. But like, yeah, this is called doing a straw man to try to sound insightful on a topic you have no idea about. I thought maybe there's some other part where she says that people might be paid by Russia or something. I don't know. But the they're talking about how they, they did acknowledge that both that the U.S. and, and Russia, it was a, a proxy war, for, not just for Russia. Yeah, I know. Wow. I know. Congratulations. I, know. I, know. I can't believe it. Amazing. I actually wow. wasn't even being, I wasn't even being sarcastic, war. though. I was like, they acknowledged some, you yeah, know, the U.S.'s them. role in there, too, them. not all Putin. Yeah. But just so this yeah, is left punching. And internationalism thing. I'm just offended by this discussion also because, I mean, it's not a real discussion. Like, People keep throwing around this terms like, what is internationalism to do? I don't think that anyone who takes internationalism seriously thinks that this should be the focus, like covering uh, ele corrupt elections when the United States is clearly interested in vilifying and demonizing certain countries and is already imposing sanctions. That's the big thing that no one talks about. It's as if we're not at war with them. We are, just not in any way that has like boots on the ground. Our acceptance of our dictatorship is so strong and people have people calling themselves leftists have internalized it so profoundly that they can't even bring themselves to mention not just once not once in this entire 20 minute segment or in any of their other coverage that i've seen the fact that we're imposing the harshest sanctions in the world that are causing long bread lines denying syrians their own food making life miserable for people who have already suffered a 10 year war that's how much we've internalized our own dictatorship so the irony of people trying to lecture somebody else about 
a dictatorship and calling other people a sham. A sham. The sham is the fact that an outlet like this can call itself progressive or consider themselves journalists if they even do. I don't know. That's the sham. Any final responses? I mean, I think that it's this video. I can watch it later. I don't want to waste your time responding to all of it. I mean, you yourself said that it was creepy. There are a lot of Assad photos. There's nothing that I don't think newsworthy about that, though. There were a lot of Assad. But again, you know what? I don't want to actually disparage it because, again, to people who've just lived through a war where the alternative is living under Saudi armed fanatics, Assad is understandably understandably a hero uh, because he's the face of the government that liberated those towns. And people can't process that thought because Westerners have been so bombarded with propaganda aimed at demonizing Assad. This is always the case. Again, even though we've lived through the Iraq war, we lived through Libya, this happens. It's the same playbook every single time. In the name of human rights, we have to go and destroy a foreign country uh, and uh, stop it from this uh, bloodthirsty dictator. In the case of Iraq, I mean, there was truth to it. Saddam did commit huge atrocities against his own people. In the case of Assad, the atrocities that Syria and Russia committed were committed in the process of defending their country from a war. So if you don't, if you're actually opposed to Syrians atrocities, then you should oppose the war that they were fighting and defending their country against. The alternative was letting their country being taken over by, as John Kerry privately admitted, ISIS. There's a great, there's a leaked conversation with John Kerry where he admitted that the reason Russia intervened in Syria was because they didn't want a Daesh government. Okay. So basically, the alternative in Kerry's eyes was Assad or a Daesh government. So that's the reality that people can't process. They can't process that a country that has been so demonized doesn't want to live under conditions that we would never accept for ourselves. And that is that is where the Western chauvinism comes in. And what's funny is you'll have some people who claim, I'm against U.S. intervention, but I'm also against the Syrian government, you know, and their and their campaign to to defeat the rebels. So basically, okay, so what are you for then? You know, basically you're you're being a coward. You're saying that you're going to oppose, you're going to say you oppose intervention, but you're also going to oppose the government defending itself against intervention. So basically you're for nothing and you're ultimately taking the side of the intervention if you're denying the country that's being attacked the right to defend itself. And that's the intellectual cowardice that unfortunately is so is so prevalent. And it's, uh, it is exhausting to deal with it because people are so dishonest. But look, it's a good, for those who are outside of it, it's a good opportunity to look at how propagandized our Western system is. And the just the effort that is taken to try to manufacture consent for criminal things like dirty wars. Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much for this. And come back on. We'll go through more propaganda stuff. And as Aaron is very reasonable and everyone likes to smear him. And then if you actually read what he's written, he's not really the conspiracy theorist that people say. Well, you know, one 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 indication of that is that for all the hate I get or I may get, there's not one single article out there that takes up my actual views. And that's what I constantly have to do. I constantly have to say when someone disparages me, can you cite my actual views to justify your characterization of them? And they can't. They can't. The same thing with Russiagate, which is the dumbest thing of all time, but yet people still felt entitled to try to question my integrity on that one, even though it was such an obvious scam. And that's everyone knows that now. And same thing with Syria, too, and this OPCW thing, the chemical weapons thing. No one can ever cite my actual views 
to substantiate the very outlandish and serious claims that they make about me. Aaron, thank you so much again. And come back and we'll we'll do some more deep dives and some more media analysis. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Bye, Aaron. I think that is a ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous video. And it makes so many claims that are quite laughable. And the whole framing of it. I mean, I'm, I'm just embarrassed because it's a show that does not cover Syria and politics. And it all of a sudden has a show about the elections in Syria. Instead of just saying like, we're in a war with Aaron Mate, instead of being like, there's a beef, there's a turf war between the Gray Zone and the Young Turks or whatever, and this is our latest thing. They're pretending like this is something they would cover. They do a story in the elections. They don't have any, like I have Aaron Mate on to talk about this because he writes about this because he was in Syria. Call him what you will. This is obviously his lane. Let's just be honest, guys. Let's be honest. Let's be honest when we are doing things because we have an axe to grind. Let's be honest when we are doing things because we're embarrassed to save face. Let's be honest when we're doing things to get someone's back. Just be honest about it. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Halper, Nick Palm, Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time. Bye.